Amen. Acts chapter 6, this morning we are going to look at the ministry of deacons in the life of the church. Now, I told Leon that I wasn't going to be preaching directly to him, but I lied. And so I'm going to be preaching directly to Leon uh, for part of the service today. But in all honesty, I'm going to be preaching to us as a church body, as a church family. Because not only do we want to take the time today to lay hands on and ordain Leon to the ministry of deacon... But we also want to make sure that as a church body, we understand what the ministry of the deacon is, where it comes from, how deacons serve the church, and what the purpose is for the church. And so this morning, we're going to look to answer all of those questions in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, as we look at the New Testament's first seven men that are called to serve the church in this way. Now, before we jump into the text, a couple of things that I want to say, just so that we're clear. First of all, the term servant or the term deacon isn't applied to these men specifically in Acts chapter 6. They are not called deacons as in the office of deacon. That is going to develop later in the New Testament church, but it originates from these seven men in Acts chapter 6. And so as the church is growing, as the church is establishing itself, this is where the need for deacons arose. And this is what the apostles Apostles inspired by God were led to do, and that will develop later into what we know of as the office of deacons. And so we're going to walk through the text this morning, and in the text we're going to see three truths concerning the ministry of deacons in the life of the church. And so let's just begin Acts chapter 6, picking up in verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. In verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for giving us this opportunity to walk through your word together as a church family. Lord, I thank you for this day that Leon is going to be ordained. I thank you for what it means to Leon and Vicky, what it means to their friends and their family that are here this morning. But Lord, we also pray that as a church family that we will be able to understand from this text what the ministry of deacons is all about and how it fits into and benefits the entire church body. And so, Lord, give us wisdom and give us discernment this morning. Help us to see the truth of this text. Help us to understand how we can apply it into our daily lives and help us to, Lord, bring you glory in how we respond to the text this morning. We love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Now, before we even jump into these three truths that we're going to see in this text, I want to go ahead and address something. If you are not a deacon this morning or never aspire to be a deacon this morning, the text still applies to you. Because what we're going to find is that all three of these truths are three truths that ought to be applied to each and every one of us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and members of the church together. And so you may be here and think, I don't ever want to be a deacon. That's fine. You still have to pay attention this morning. Amen? You still got to pay attention. You still got to stay with me because this is going to apply to all of us together. So number one, deacons serve to enable the pastor to minister the word. The first truth we see come out of this text is that deacons serve to enable the pastor to minister the word. So notice in verse one, Luke simply tells us that after these days, the number of disciples began to grow and begin to grow by leaps and bounds. Our best guess is that this is six years or so after Pentecost in Acts 2. And so the church has grown to a pretty sizable number in Jerusalem. But with growth comes growing pains and with growth comes administrative problems. And that appears to be what's taking place in the new church in Jerusalem here in Acts 6. It says that a complaint by the Hellenists came against the Hebrews that the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let me get you caught up with the context here in Acts 6. Remember that at this point in the book of Acts, all the disciples had sold all that they owned. They had put it all in one large pot and they were living together throughout these daily distributions so that theoretically no one would have need. All the needs would be met by the church body as a whole. And so these widows were being neglected in that daily distribution. Also remember that during this time, there were Jews that were living in Jerusalem. And there were also Jews who had been dispersed due to persecution outside of Jerusalem, who had then come back into Jerusalem in order to establish this church. And so here's what we've got. We've got the Hebrews. They are the Greek-speaking, excuse me, the Aramaic-speaking Jewish inhabitants of Jerusalem. In other words, they live in Jerusalem and have lived in Jerusalem. Because of that, they speak that language and they speak that, or they have that culture and they have come to faith in Jesus and they've established a church. Well, they're Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ who had been dispersed outside of Jerusalem due to persecution. They spoke Greek. And because of that, when they came back into Jerusalem, they had two distinct languages and two distinct cultures that were all trying to coexist in the same church. And so obviously this created all kinds of problems. And the problem that's being addressed here is that the Hebrews are neglecting the Hellenists in the daily distribution. Now remember, not only are they living out of one large pot together, but also remember that during this time a woman was not permitted to work, and so a widow was was dependent upon the help of others, especially the help of the church, in order to make ends meet. As a matter of fact, remember, James tells us in James one twenty seven, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In other words, I want you to understand, the complaint that arose here was a big deal. It was a big deal. There are times that, that we hear complaints that aren't that big of a deal sometimes, right? 
Like, well, I don't like the color of the wall. I don't like the color of the carpet. That, that's great. We can all have opinions on that. Nobody's going to starve because the color of the carpet is different, right? Nobody's going gonna, to gonna lose anything because the paint isn't exactly the right color or isn't the color they prefer. Those are small issues. This is a big deal. And so the apostles have to figure out what are we going to do to address this enormous issue that's going on in the life of the church. Also understand that if this issue isn't addressed, this church is going to go through division. And as they go through division, the testimony of the church is going to be hindered. It's going to be hurt. It's going to be divided. And all of the New Testament churches that exist would all have been compromised if the first church, the church in Jerusalem, had gone through a split during this early stage in the life of the New Testament church. And so there's a lot riding on the decision here. And so notice what takes place in verse 2. It says, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Now, here's what the apostles were not saying. They were not saying we are too good to serve at the tables. That work is beneath us. That, that's small stuff that we don't think is worthy of our time. That's not what they were saying. What they were saying is that God has called us to the specific task of preaching the word. And if we take away from that task to serve the tables that are important, it will take away from our ministry of the word that God has called us to. And so what we find here is not that serving the tables was less than preaching the word, but that God had called the apostles to preach the word, and God had called others to serve the table. Amen? And what we're going to see is that in order, for the, in order for the church to function properly, everyone has to do their part. Not just pastors and deacons, by the way. This is part that applies to you as well, even if you're not a pastor or a deacon. Every member must do their part for the body to function properly. Amen? And what the pastors, what the apostles are simply saying is that God has called us to the ministry of the Word. If we do anything but ministry of the Word, it'll take away from what God has called us to do. Therefore, it's not right that we should do that because that's not what God has called us to do. And so the apostles come up with a plan in verse 3, their solution to the problem is that the congregation would choose for themselves seven men to oversee the task. And so what we begin to see is that the ministry of the deacon is to serve the church in order to allow the pastor to minister the word. Matter of fact, notice what it says in verse 4. After the apostles give this decree in verse 3, they say in verse three, 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, the apostles aren't telling the deacons or the, the church, we're too good for this. What they're simply saying is that we must give ourselves fully over to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I was having a conversation with another pastor a couple of weeks ago, and he wasn't burnout. But he was getting to the point of burnout. And the issue was there were lots of things going on in the church. Good things. Like good growing pains type of stuff. 
right? Like the church was growing, God was blessing, but because of that, there were lots of things that were being done in the church. There were, there were revitalization building projects going on. There were, this was getting updated, this was getting updated, and all of which were great things to have. Except for as I sat down and talked with this brother, he goes, man, I'm wiped out. I'm wiped out. I'm having to do this. I'm having to meet this person here. I'm having to do this and I'm having to do this. And what I found that is suffering the most is that when I go to the word to study and prepare for Sunday, I'm so worn out that I'm not enjoying it. I'm so worn out that it has become a task. And he says, now what I'm finding is that the ministry of the word is suffering because I'm trying to do all these other stuff. And this was the situation, not that the congregation didn't care. This brother had just taken too much on and he needed to offload some of this stuff. And so I just encouraged him. I said, listen, brother, just say no to that stuff. Amen. Just let the church know, no, 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 you got to do this. I've got to, I got to focus on this. And he has. And so a couple weeks have gone by. I talked to him again. He's like, oh man, it's like a breath of fresh air. I just, I just let go of that stuff and I'm focusing on preaching and prayer ministry of the word and prayer and it's like i've it's like i've been revitalized myself i've been rejuvenated to focus on what god has called me to do that's what deacons do deacons serve the church allowing the pastor to focus on preaching and prayer ministry of the word because listen carefully both are essential to the life of the church both are essential to the life of the church. If you've got great preaching and no one's serving, then you've got a problem. If you've got lousy preaching and people serving, you still got a problem. Amen? You need both. You need good, faithful preaching of God's word, and you need a congregation that is serving one another, deacons leading the charge in serving so that the body can function properly. And that's what we see in the text. First of all, deacons serve to enable the pastors to minister the word. And then secondly, deacons serve after meeting the biblical qualifications. Look at what it says in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Again, notice what it doesn't say, because sometimes what it doesn't say is just as helpful as what it does say. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, give me seven guys who are running a successful business and who are phenomenal at administration. I mean, wouldn't you think administrative skills would have been really, really handy in this process of distributing daily to the needs of the widows? I mean, I I feel like you'd have wanted somebody extremely organized, right? I feel like you'd have wanted somebody that was an administrative guru. Somebody had proven themselves in the business world. They were successful. They were capable. They were qualified. Now, none of those things are bad things. But that's not what the apostles cared about. They said, first of all, we need people who meet the right spiritual qualifications. And so they come up with these three. Good reputation, full of the spirit, 
and full of wisdom. Now, we also know that Paul gives us a more extensive list of qualifications, both character issues and spiritual issues in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Leon and I have already walked through those qualifications together, sitting on his front porch with chickens underneath us because it was raining and they were all up under the porch and we were on top of the porch. We walked through those qualifications together. So don't think we haven't. We've been through those qualifications But I want you to focus on the three mentioned here in this text. First of all, it says that these men need to have good repute or a good reputation. Now, a good reputation is someone who is living out their faith in a way that others can see it. Someone who has a good reputation isn't just someone who has a good reputation in the church, by the way, but also someone who has a good reputation in the community. It's what Paul says in Timothy is someone who's above reproach, right? And I, when I was talking to Leon on his front porch, I said, so for instance, if I tell one of your friends that Leon's about to be ordained as a deacon, their response shouldn't be, that dirty dog, are you kidding me? What do you mean? You've never seen him out and about in town, I bet. Right? No, when, 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 when we go to, to Petey's in, in, uh, in, in Wendell and, and, and people find out Leon's, because he eats breakfast there literally every single day, right? Those folks there shouldn't be surprised based upon the conduct he exhibits in Wendell. Amen? And that's true of all deacons. They need to have a good reputation, a reputation that, that proves that they are walking with the Lord and that they have, in fact, given their hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, they need to be full of the Spirit. Now, to be full of the Spirit, first of all, means that you are exhibiting your salvation. It means that Leon and, and the rest of us have given our, our, our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith is demonstrated in the way that we live our lives. It is obvious, it is evident that we are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is oozing out of us. Being full of the Spirit also means that we are following the Spirit in our day-to-day life. We just got done as a church family walking through the book of Ephesians. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, Paul has this sort of unique way of pointing out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. When he says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As we walk through that text, we were able to understand that Paul wasn't talking about wine Paul was talking about being filled with the Spirit. We, we tend to put the emphasis on don't get drunk with wine. Don't mistake me. Don't get drunk with wine. It's wrong. It's sin. Amen? That's clear. Paul says it clearly. But what Paul was doing was giving us a picture of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be drunk with the Spirit. Let the Spirit live inside of you and take control of your life so that people, when they see you, they think, man, that guy's filled with the Spirit. He's following Jesus. He's following the Holy Spirit in his life. There's something wrong with that guy. He's filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So Paul says they must have a good reputation. They must be full of the Spirit. And then they must be full of wisdom. Remember that wisdom in Scripture is not book smarts. And it is not street smarts. It's what I like to call Bible smarts, right? In other words, it's someone who knows the Word of God, number one, and number two, obeys the Word of God. 
You see, someone who knows the word and doesn't obey the word is a fool. Someone who doesn't know and therefore cannot obey is ignorant. We want men who know the word and obey the word who are full of wisdom. I don't care if you're dumb as bricks when it comes to book smarts. Right? I don't care if you repeatedly touch an electric fence because you got no common sense or street smarts. If you know the word of God and you're obeying the word of God, that's who I want. Now, it'd be kind of cool if you had a little bit of all three. Right? Like if you're just constantly touching an electric fence, we're going to have to have a conversation about that eventually. Right? But what I really want, what God wants, what Paul says, what, what, what here the apostles say is that these men need to know God's word and they need to be obeying the word of God. They need to be of good reputation, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. Now, notice with me in verse 5, the seven men that were chosen. Look with me now in verse 5. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Look now in chapter 7. If you notice the titles of chapter 7, you will know that chapter 7 is the story of how Stephen begins to preach the word of God to those who are persecuting the church. And by the end of chapter 7, Stephen has exhibited the gift of preaching and he has become the first martyr. In other words, the first person to die for their faith at the end of chapter 7. Then after Stephen, we have in verse 5, we have Philip. Philip, if you go into chapter 8, becomes the only person in the New Testament ever called an evangelist. He goes and begins to preach the gospel, ultimately at the end of chapter 8, preaching it to the Ethiopian eunuch famously. And then Philip goes away. In other words, we don't know what happens to Philip after that. But Philip continues his process of being sent out by the church to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have the other five. The other five, you never hear their names again. Why? Because they were sitting behind the table, serving the widows every single day like they were supposed to. Stephen dies as the first martyr, Philip goes off as an evangelist, but these five guys fix the problem. You know what else you don't hear about? You don't hear about this issue again because it was resolved. You don't hear about the Hellenists and the Hebrews dividing their church and planting two churches in the same city. Not that that's ever happened. First Baptist and Second Baptist down the road. What happened there? Amen? Right? And we still see it today. Churches divide almost regularly to the point that it is a joke at how often churches divide. Because instead of fixing problems, they divide over problems. Instead of reconciling issues, they get bitter and they divide over issues. That didn't happen here because these five men faithfully served behind the scenes. And so to all the deacons, Leon included, I don't want you to feel like you've got to conquer the world. All I want you to do is do what God has called you to do and gifted you to do for his glory. Amen? It may mean conquering the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be the next Philip. It may mean serving faithfully behind the scenes, never to be heard from again. 
if you don't hear from Leon after today, you need to ask questions. That would be quite odd for us, right? He, he should be here next Sunday. If he disappears, we need to ask Vicky some questions, right? But notice, these five men take care of the problem. They serve faithfully behind the scenes after they've met the biblical qualifications, which is why Paul says again in 1 Timothy 3.10, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found Blameless. So deacons serve to enable the pastors to minister the word. Deacons serve after meeting the biblical qualifications. And then thirdly, deacons serve faithfully to benefit the entire body. Now, if you go back into verse 5, there's something interesting that I thought would would be helpful for us to kind of point out and highlight. In verse 5, it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And then it begins to list these men in verse 5. And then in verse 6, it says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, why this is so interesting is because this gives us the first good glimpse of how the church was functioning in its government here in the New Testament church in Jerusalem. Notice the church is very clearly apostle or pastor-led. The apostles were the ones who decreed, we need to give ourselves to preaching and prayer. Therefore, you pick out seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we, the apostles, will appoint them over this matter. It is clear that the early church was pastor-led, elder-led, or apostle-led. However, the apostles decreed that these seven men would serve the church. And so although it is clearly pastor-led, the church is also clearly deacon-served. As a matter of fact, remember the word deacon is just us sounding out the Greek word into English, coming up with the word deacon, which literally translates as servant. If you didn't know that before, understand the word deacon is just the Greek word deaconos sounded out into English. In other words, there wasn't a word that existed that would clearly identify these men as servants with the official office of the church. And so what the English writers, what the English uh, speakers did, they just sounded it out and made up an English word. So the word deacon is just the Greek word deaconos sounded out into English. But the word literally means servant. So if you go back to 1 Timothy 3.10, it literally could be translated, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as servants being found blameless. Because the word deacon means servant or to serve. Now, this is later, and when Paul writes about it in 1 Timothy especially, deacons have gone into an office just like pastor in the church. But don't misunderstand, deacons are to serve the church. We've talked about this before on a Wednesday night. A lot of times when we mess up church government, it causes massive problems in churches And oftentimes, one of the problems we see locally in this area specifically is deacons that try to lead churches instead of serve churches. Nowhere in the New Testament are deacons called to lead churches. They are called to serve churches. However, don't think that this is just the preacher saying you got to listen and obey because notice what happens in verse 5. It says that what they said pleased the whole gathering. And then in verse 6, these they set before the apostles. Who picked out the seven men? It's the congregation. Who approved of what the apostles said? 
to the congregation. What we begin to see is that the church is pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregationally approved. And so it was the congregation that said, we like what you're we like that leadership. We approve of what you've said. It's the, it's the congregation that picks out the seven men that sets them before the apostles so the apostles could lay hands over them. And so what we begin to see, just kind of out of interesting, is that the church is pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregationally approved. And then I want you to see what happens after the church had been set up in this manner, after they had laid hands on these men in verse 7. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, it worked. It worked. The deacons served the church faithfully which allowed the church to continue to grow. And the word of God continued to increase. Disciples multiplied. All because these five men continued serving faithfully behind the scenes. Because here's what would have happened if these five men were never chosen. That rift between the Hebrews and the Hellenists would have fractured and divided the church. Then those outside the church would have looked inside the church and said, See, I told you Jesus was a fraud and he doesn't make a difference. And then those great many of priests who came to faith in verse 7 wouldn't have come to faith because they would have said, Aha, Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah because look at his followers. They can't even get along with one another. But because these deacons served faithfully, the church increased. The word multiplied. The disciples increased. A great many of the priests came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they did it the right way. Pastor-led, deacon-served, congregationally approved. These men fulfilled their role in the church. And because they did, the entire church body benefited. So deacons serve to enable the pastors to minister the word. Deacons serve after meeting the biblical qualifications. And deacons serve faithfully to benefit the entire body. Now remember... I told you at the beginning that all of this was going to apply to each and every one of us, whether we were deacons or not. And so let me begin by asking you the question, whether you've been called by God to be a deacon or not, whether you ever will, do you meet the qualifications of what it means to serve the church faithfully? In other words, do you have a good reputation both inside and outside the church? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? In other words, have you personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let me remind you that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your personal sins. So that if you would put your faith and trust in Jesus, you could have your sins forgiven and you could be given the gift of eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you feel God speaking to your heart, I want you to know that that's what it takes. God calls you. And after God calls you, he enables you to say yes to him. And so if you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, but you feel God speaking to your heart, then you need to know God loves you. And God wants a relationship with you.
And if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be full of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in your heart and in your life. So if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that today can be the day that you do. In just a few moments, before we ordain Leon, in just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to have an invitation, a time that you can come and respond to the word. And if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, all you got to do is come forward and say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have more questions than I can answer. That's fine. We'll pray and we'll meet afterwards. But today can be the day that you give your life to Jesus if you feel him calling. So, are you willing to serve? You see, not only do we have to be, uh, not only do we have to meet these different qualifications, but we secondly have to be willing to serve the Lord in whatever capacity he desires. God's called me to be a pastor. God at this point's called Leon to be a deacon. How about you? What's God called you to do? And how are you serving the church faithfully? If you're a member, we need you. And we need you faithfully serving the Lord. Amen? And so, let me ask you, are you serving the Lord faithfully in your life? And so, whether you've been called to be a deacon or not, we need folks that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are full of wisdom, who are willing to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask again, is that you? Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to encourage you, as God leads, respond to him now during this time of invitation. If you're here and you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm here. I'd love for you to come and share with me what God's doing in your life. I'd love to pray with you and help you to understand how you can trust Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer. And God hasn't called you to be a deacon, but you're struggling because if he had, you wouldn't be qualified. There's something in your life that you need to confess. There's an air of your life that you haven't completely surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And God's been convicting you of it. If that's the case, then come to this altar. Lay it before the Lord. Right where you're seated, pray and confess it to the Lord. The great news is that Scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe there's something you need to confess this morning. Maybe the Lord is leading you to make this your church home. Maybe the Lord is leading you to follow him, believers, baptism, whatever and however the Lord is moving. And you respond during this invitation. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that you are doing in our midst now. Lord, we surrender ourselves fully unto you and we pray that you would lead and direct as we commit to following you. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.